the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Do you realize that every prophet in the Old Testament did what? He stood up against the politics of his day. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Today, we begin a new message titled, Painting a Picture in John chapter 12. Well, there I was with some of you standing in the valley of Elah, in the very spot that the shepherd boy named David stood 3,000 years earlier. There was a hill in front of me and an open field behind me. I stood in a dried up brook, the very place that King David stood when he was just a little boy. Under my feet were many small stones. The Bible says that David had picked up five small stones from that very spot. Yet he only needed one of them, for there was a giant that was lurking in the valley. And David faced that giant named Goliath, who stood nine foot six inches tall. Goliath cursed as David walked out, saying, Am I a dog that you send out a little boy to fight me? Uh, Excuse me, sir, is that a rhetorical question? Because yes, you are a dog. But anyway, uh, yet David responded with an incredible boldness saying, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And we know how that went down. He dropped Goliath like a bad habit. Yes, the story that I had read for years came alive as I stood in the Valley of Elah. A picture was painted for me, just like when I stood on Mount Carmel, where Elijah challenged the false prophets of Baal. It was an epic showdown. You could call it the Super Bowl of the gods, as all but 7,000 in Israel had fallen away from the Lord. Yet it was only Elijah that stood for the only true God. He challenged the king. He challenged all those who were running the country, who had bowed down and worshipped these false gods of Baal, saying, why do you live in such compromise? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Obviously, there's only one true God. Elijah's question was simple. Why are you serving two masters? Elijah challenged the false prophets to a test, and he built an altar right where he stood. And God, he said, whatever God consumes the altar with fire from heaven, that will be the only true God. And as you know, that's exactly what happened. As Elijah prayed to God, fire came out of heaven, consuming everything there was. Another clear picture that came alive to me as I stood there. Yet, that's not the only event I saw as I looked to the east as I stood on Mount Carmel. I saw a lush and green valley and it was named Megiddo. 
And that painted another picture for me of the end of time. For the Valley of Megiddo will host the battle that's known as the Great Battle of Armageddon. Yes, there are times in life that you and me can stand in a place of historical significance and picture in our minds the very events that took place there. Because sometimes when you're standing there, it's different than just reading about it in a book. And the picture, all of a sudden you see how it is. Well, in the same way here today, we have a picture before us. It's only six days before the Passover. And these next six chapters here will detail the last days of Jesus' life. In the other gospels, they go farther along and telling all these other stories. And then they finally get to the end and it's at the end of the chapter or the end of the book, I should say. But in John, here we are early on and we already get to the last week of his life. And so all these chapters that are in front of us are going to detail the last week of Jesus's life. Yes, but we must first though, before we jump into chapter 12, we must pick up from where we left off last time in chapter 11. As you remember, Jesus had done really the unbelievable, the mind-boggling. It was completely breathtaking. It was a miracle of miracles. He had raised a man named Lazarus who had been dead for four full days. We were told that some seeing Lazarus rise from the dead, walking out of the tomb alive, caused them to believe immediately. Yeah, like why wouldn't you believe immediately? Yet, as hard as it is to imagine, there were others that went away not believing, only to go and tell the religious leaders all that had happened. Well, today, we will consider three points in light of our title here, painting a picture. Number one, a sacrifice planned. Yes, the religious leaders were going to sacrifice the Messiah, as crazy as that sounds. Number two, a costly gift offered as someone gave all that they had. And number three, a costly gift remembered. And it is truly remembered because we're still talking about it here today. Well, let's look at our first point, a sacrifice planned as we read together, again, going back to chapter 11 for a moment. It says in verse 47, therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man, talking about Jesus, is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. Gee, that'd be the end of the world, wouldn't it? All believe in Jesus, the Messiah, and these are the religious leaders. Then they go on to say, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that all the whole nation should not perish. Well, we'll stop there for a moment. Yes, they were planning a sacrifice that it was better for one man to die so that the rest of the nation should not perish. Caiaphas, this wicked high priest here, said all the right words, but did he ever even have a clue of what it really meant? Because he had the wrong picture in his mind. Yes, 
The one fact is, though, one man needed to die so the rest could live. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. 780 years earlier in Isaiah 53, 10, it says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, who? Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, as a result of the anguish of his soul, my servant will justify, make people just as if they've never sinned, the many, as he will bear their iniquities because he poured out himself to death. He bore the sin of many on his own body. Notice in Isaiah 53, it said that it pleased the Lord to crush him. That word pleased in the original language means that God took delight and desire and great pleasure in that. I mean, think about that just for a moment. God loved you and me so much that he actually delighted to the point of great pleasure to crush Jesus on the cross if it would set all of us free. That word crush means to smite, to shatter, to break into pieces. But why did it all have to happen? Because of the wickedness of you and me and our own sin. Because our sin severs, it literally separates us from the living God. That's why God says, it's not that my hand is so short that I can't reach you or my ears dull that I can't hear you, but your sin has made a separation between you and me. So therefore, that's why God was willing to do that. See, many attempt to justify themselves by trying to minimize their own sin. Well, how they do this is they'll criticize others for their shortcomings as they overlook their own failures. Yes, it's easy to point your finger at someone else, not realizing that you have three little piggies pointing back at you. Oh, at least I'm not as bad as them. Well, I'm better than that person. At least I didn't do that. Yes, people will always try to justify themselves. But that's why Jesus died. He died because of our sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness or in right standings of God in him. So now we're righteous before God. We're in right standings with him, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ did for us. Yes, that was God's plan from the beginning of time. That one man needed to die to save the rest. But that one man was going to be God himself, God in human form. Yet even though Caiaphas in verse 50 said the right words, one must die for all, he totally had the wrong picture in his mind. Caiaphas, again, was the high priest. And the Jewish religion had come to a place where they were completely dead and lifeless like many religions are here today. Let's not forget from the Old Testament, God had not spoken to his chosen people for over 400 years before Jesus came onto the scene. And Caiaphas was nothing more than just a political leader of the land. And he was a corrupt one at that like many politicians are today. 
Never underestimate the wicked heart. Jesus has just raised a man that has been dead for four days. Yet that miracle did nothing to open the eyes of these closed-hearted, religious, dead Pharisees. Jesus said, I raised this man. Does it not even touch your heart? You know, it's like, it's amazing to me how people, you know, will say, if I could only see a miracle, I'd believe. If God just floated down on the cloud, if he opened up the heavens and put his head through and spoke to me, I would believe. Oh, really? Well, these religious leaders, the score of them, watched Jesus do so many miracles right in front of their sight, it had no effect on them. They allowed the hardness of their hearts to literally blind their eyes. If you're not going to believe, then you're not going to believe. Seeing something isn't going to change your heart because your heart is corrupt. And that's exactly what these people saw. They saw the truth and they chose to reject it. Now, not all the religious leaders were like this. Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter three, and he said to him, you know what? I see the things that you're doing. I'm listening to you. No one could do these things, but God is with them. He's like, I'm seeing it. See, so he allowed the miracles to affect his heart, but many of the others didn't whatsoever. So when people say, well, I would believe if I seen miracles, that's just simply not true. The religious leader's decision had nothing to do with the people and saving the people. It had everything to do with protecting their own place and position as leaders. They didn't care about the land. And it's like killing Jesus wasn't going to save it because 37 years after this, Rome came in, sacked Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, and completely hauled the people off as slaves in 70 AD. Leaving the Jewish people with no country of their own, having no uh, ties to their country whatsoever for 1878 years. It wasn't until May 14th, 1948, through the grace and mercy of the world, after the Jews went through the horrendous thing in the Holocaust, that they were given their land back. And they've been struggling to hang on to it ever since because the world wants to pull it back from them. But nonetheless, so these men, they spelled out their own wicked plans in verse 53. This was the plans of the religious leaders. So from that day in verse 53, they went on and they planned to kill Jesus. Then, like all dead religions attempt to do, they try to justify themselves with more religious ceremony because look at verse 55 of chapter 11. It says, the passer of the Jews was near and many of them went up to Jerusalem out of their country before the Passover to purify themselves. Go through their little rituals. We got to look all good. We have to go through our ceremonial washings. Let's put on our big robes and let's all look pretty. It's like they were so concerned with the outside. They forgot about the inside. This is why Jesus called them all hypocrites. He says, you know, you look on the outside, you look like whitewashed tombs. You're all beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, like a tomb is, you're filled with dead men's bones. You're dead on the inside. It's like, woe to you. And woe to the pastors today that will sit there and preach whatever people want to hear. Oh, you want to hear this? You want me to tell you how wonderful you are? Well, good. Come and I'll tell you what a champion you are and how wonderful you are. I'll write millions of books and you can buy them all. And I'll make all kinds of money and all of these things. But what did Jesus say to those people in the end? In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, there'll be many that come to me. 
and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do wonderful things in your name? Did we not do miracles? Well, who's he talking about here? He's talking about those people who claim to be, you know, good shepherds and all of these things. But what does Jesus respond to them? He says, depart from me, you cursed creatures. I never knew you. I don't care how many books you sold. I don't care how many wonderful things you talked about and built people up and told them how wonderful they were. You never spoke the truth. You never gave my word uncompromisingly. And therefore, I never knew you. Wow, can you imagine that? Amazing how they were sticklers for the outward religious ceremonies while inwardly they're planning a violent and savage crucifixion of the Messiah, Savior, Jesus. Yes, let's go through a ritual. Let's put on our robes. Let's look good. Let's wash our hands. It's like, what is wrong with you? You're planning on savagely killing Jesus and you're thinking these religious rituals are going to help you? And do we not still do this again today? Again, like I said, there's churches that will not speak the truth if those truths are against what's politically correct. Many will not call sin, sin in our world today, even in the church, if that sin is popular in our culture. Some will not even stand against abortion today. There are believers in the church who claim to be Christians and they will use their vote to put people in office that stand for abortion. And it's just like, and their wicked lifestyles. It's just amazing. So you have like in New York where now, it's not only that you can abort a baby, but you can literally abort a baby all the way to the ninth month, also in Virginia. And if the woman, when you have the baby, you give birth to the baby, you can leave the baby and die and it's legal because I don't want the baby. I've changed my mind. And it's like, this is legal now. And people say, this is abhorrent. How can this be? Because the people of God have not stepped up and said, we are not going to vote for you. It's not about being a Democrat or a Republican. It's about doing what's right as much as possible with our vote. I get so much hate mail, you would not believe it, about why do you bring up politics in the church? I came today to hear a message about God and love and and to be blessed in my life. And you're talking about politics. It's like, excuse me, I make no apologies for this. Do you realize that every prophet in the Old Testament did what? He stood up against the politics of his day. He stood up and says, this is wrong. You are living in sin. That's exactly what the people of God are supposed to do. We are supposed to stand against what is wrong. And listen, we have a vote. And that vote needs to count towards people that are at least somewhat going in the right direction. I mean, obviously, if you're waiting to vote for the full-blown born-again Christian, you won't be voting for anybody, okay? But you have to vote for at least the ones that are somewhat supporting what we are. Yes, it's like these things, every single prophet that God raised up stood against the political system of his day, against those who were allowing rulers of their day to go against what God had established in his word. Like we had mentioned in our opening comments about Elijah standing on Mount Carmel. What was he going against? Ahab and his wicked wife, Jezebel. She was a spring peach of a woman. Anyway, the most wicked woman of the Bible. And so the point is, every single one stood against the things that were wrong in his day. Well, Jesus knew this, and he was going to stay out of the sight of these religious leaders here for a little bit. Yet, 
Because in one week's time, Jesus is going to fulfill his purpose and his plan. For he, like John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the earth. Well, now, we, here we are three and a half years later, and it's time for him to die for you and for me. Which brings up our second point, a costly gift offered. Let's read together as we pick up now in John chapter 12. We'll pick up, of course, in verse 1. Now Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was with whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So he's with Lazarus. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Well, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to pilfer for what was put into it. Jesus therefore said, let her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Wow, this is like a crazy portion of scripture here. What a picture that we have painted for us. And it gets even clearer when you add the other two accounts of the very same story that are recorded in the gospel of Matthew chapter 26 and the gospel of Mark chapter 14. So when you put all three of them together, you start getting even a better picture. You get even more details of this day here in Bethany. Matthew tells us Jesus is actually at the house of Simon the leper, or maybe we should say Simon the former leper. As you know, leprosy was an incurable disease that would literally eat the flesh of its victims. In Leviticus chapter 14 in the Torah, the Pentateuch, the law of God, Moses records that all those with leprosy must be separated from society to avoid any contact with people that you would not spread this disease. In fact, the leper, if they came near anyone, would have to cry out. It was their responsibility to cry, oh, back up, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean, get away from me. So on one side of Jesus was Simon, the man healed of this incurable disease called leprosy. On the other side of Jesus was Lazarus, as John brought up, who was dead and buried for four days before Jesus raised him from the dead. And in the midst of them were 12 of his disciples. The 12 disciples were there. And finally, we have Martha in the kitchen. She's making lunch again. And we have the sister named Mary, who's about to offer a costly gift. Yes, what a picture we have before us. A picture of great love and devotion. A gift that we can glean so much from here today. For it demonstrated a love for Jesus that was unmatched during his entire earthly ministry. 
There's no other gift that was ever done to Jesus that will match this. Again, as we paint this picture, follow me here. We have Jesus. He's reclining at a table with Simon, the one who was rejected by society because of his leprosy. Simon could have been the leper that approached Jesus back in Matthew chapter 8, where it simply said in verse 2 that a leper came up to Jesus. He bowed down to him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. Nobody would ever touch a leper. But Jesus touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I wonder how many times you and I miss out on the great blessings of God simply because we do not believe, nor do we ask. Notice the leper said, which could have been Simon, if you're willing, you can make me clean. See, Simon believed. Let me ask you today, do you believe the promises of God? That's all the time we have for our message today. But please join us next time as we continue our study through the Gospel of John. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word, that's Core Church LA, to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.